Blog Talk Radio. Who are the unstoppable ones? Is it just that they can do it and I can't? Who are the Mission Unstoppable. Mission Unstoppable. The Unstoppable Ones. You did say Unstoppable, right? You did say Unstoppable, right? What is it they know that I don't? Coach Frankie Picasso takes you on Mission Unstoppable. Can anyone stop these people? Who knows? Good evening. I am the unstoppable Frankie Picasso, and you are about to go on another Mission Unstoppable. Tonight we enter a realm of spirituality where few go, but many seek. It's a place where nature calls out to rejuvenate us, animals communicate and protect us with their love and messages from the beyond, and the journey towards finding our purpose can begin with our world imploding on us. Stay tuned, stay close, and we will meet our guest in just a moment. If you are listening to us on Tuesday, October 20th, then you are listening to the live version of Mission Unstoppable Radio. Welcome. The time is 8 p.m. in Toronto, 7 in Chicago, and 5 p.m. in Los Angeles. We'd love to have you join us in the chat room, or if you wish to speak to me or my guest, feel free to give us a call at 646-595-3741. I'd like to thank the good folks here at Blog Talk Radio for allowing me to broadcast over their network, and I'd especially like to thank you for tuning in to me each and every week. My guest this evening is Nancy Kaiser, an animal communicator and healer whose business is called Just Ask Me Communications. Today, Nancy is dedicated to bridging the chasm that's developed between people and animals. She's an experienced horsewoman and has always worked and lived with animals in some capacity and configuration. But a few years ago, Nancy had to make a very difficult and personal journey that would enable her to become the woman she is today. Her book is entitled Letting Go, One Ordinary Woman's Extraordinary Journey of Healing and Transformation. Let's just say her transition was far from easy. <clears throat> Excuse me. Please welcome Nancy to Mission Unstoppable Radio. Good evening. Hi. I just want to thank you, Frankie, for the opportunity to share my story and my work with your listeners Hopefully there's someone out there listening that, that can benefit from, from my book because that was really the whole reason why it got published. It got written more as a personal journey for me to try and you know, heal from, from a very traumatic situation that happened. I, you know, Nancy, it, it, it was a really tough book to read. <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's, not a, it's not a hard book to read it was a tough book to read it brought up all sorts of emotions for me and it was interesting because I read a lot I read a lot of books mm-hmm. every week I got a lot of shows and the first half I felt <clears throat> was was just so jam-packed and this is not a criticism this is a, a feeling um, mm-hmm. with emotion and words and, and, and I remember saying you know to Dan I said this is a really hard book to read like I was I was feeling your anger and your angst mm-hmm. and all the things that were happening to you, and and it it was funny because it seemed to be very slow reading. For I usually read a book in like a day and a half, and I'm just like, mm-hmm. what's going on here? How come I can't get through this book? Not that it wasn't hard to read again, but as you lightened up, the reading became faster and easier, and 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 it was just you know even though the the latter part of the book had me crying my eyes, <laughs> I love that I was like crying, cry, cry. You know, it was just a wonderful. It was a wonderful experience to watch you go through. Well, and it cooperated. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, it's interesting that you say that because it really, it's kind of the reason that it got published. Um, you know, I wrote it as a personal journal because um, five years ago I moved from New Jersey with a husband and thought we were building our dream retirement home. We had had an equine hospital and vet practice in central New Jersey for 27 years. And, you know, he retired, and we were coming to the mountains of North Carolina to enjoy life and not be, you know, tethered to the animals on the farm. But shortly after we got here and started building our retirement home, he announced that he never wanted this house and he never wanted to be here. And so my 29-year relationship just kind of disintegrated within a week. And I was shocked and clueless. 
it took me a, over a year before I could even try and sit down and understand what had happened. It was just the most devastating thing because I never saw it coming. Yeah, to well, me, it, it was like a death. Yeah, well, let, let, let's take folks through that just so they, could, they have a, a sense of, of what was going on. You, you, you had a farm um, and a practice in, in New Jersey. Yeah. You left friends and, and, and family 600 miles, you yeah. know, you sold off your family's treasures and, 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 and your parents' things that were very close because you thought, you know what, we don't need these things. We're moving to our dream house. And, and you, you picked out every, every article in this house. Like oh. You designed the yeah. house. You picked it all out. You're ready to – you're starting to build it, and you, and you travel with your horses and, and your dogs and your cats and, you know, the 600 miles into the, the Blue Ridge Mountains, and, and boom, you know, your husband comes off with a statement, I don't want to be here. I never wanted this. Goodbye. Now, you're left holding the bag. You've got a house that's under construction. You, you know, you're trying to, you have no money. You're trying to find a place to live. It's kind of like, you know, you're lost. Oh, you're completely totally lost. I was living in a camper on the side of this mountain. We bought 54 acres that was the top and side of a mountain down here. Spectacular. I mean, within 10 minutes of walking on the land back in 01, I knew this was where my soul was meant to be. It was just that powerful. So to have that happen, I'm not used to things not turning out. I'm used to kind of creating my reality and having it, you know, come to fruition. So sure. it, it was just devastating. It was, you know, my best friend, my husband had, to me, died. It was like a death, and I think I spent the first year more grieving and, you know, had to find a house to live in, um, which I did about 16 miles from this spectacular property that I thought I'd be living on until the day I died. Had my dogs, two um, um, aging Labradors. They were probably 12 or 13 at the time and I had a couple of horses at the time. So really, thanks to the animals, they would get me up every day, yeah. you know, because I needed to take care of them. But I knew very few people down here, mostly just the, the people that helped us build the property, you know, and get the property ready. I didn't have any friends. Uh, it was my friends, you know, back in New Jersey and around the country that, kept me going through email and on the phone. I mean, I'll never be able to thank them for all the time that they Yeah, you had an incredible support network. I think that's just amazing for people. You know, if you're wondering if you have friends or not, boy, you sure knew that you had friends. You now, find you, out who your real friends are. Yeah, yeah. You 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 found a house to live in. It was a, it was it was was that also being built or it had just been built? No, it had just been finished, and it actually was the antithesis of everything I had wanted. <laughs> yeah. In the in the house that we were starting to build, so I thought that was quite ironic. Um, well, it seemed like everything from that moment that your uh, that your ex left you became a chore. Everything oh, wrong. Uh, everything yep. just. Boy, you could you couldn't you couldn't win for you know lose for trying. Kind but of see, that was all necessary because you know it, all of these things kind of transpired, and and that's sort of why I had to to write because I needed to to learn what I wasn't seeing, and I knew yeah. if I didn't learn that I would end up creating something even worse in order to learn. Although I couldn't imagine anything any worse. But well, it was, I, I guess it's kind of hard too because your husband didn't die, so your no. husband did something really horrible. Which so you can't even let go in the in the same way that if somebody had died, you could you know say okay, well you know they died, but exactly you're, you're grieving and you're raging. Yes, and and the problem is that you know you have this almost thirty. Well, I knew him more than thirty years. You know, thirty years worth of of memories that are now tainted. Yeah. You know, so it, it it's not like you can even try and live in your happy past because when you work with somebody, like he and I work side by side on the farm and in the vet practice, I mean, all of my memories had him in it, you know, so right. that was very challenging. I, well, what, what got, I think what got me angry as as I read it, and, and, you know, your husband was a respected veterinarian. He had this, oh, this yeah. one practice. 
you know, you would think that ethically he would have something going on, you know. But but not only, you know, and I could say, okay, so he left you. You know what, guys leave their wives all the time. But it was the way he left you. Yeah. He left yeah. you, you know, building a dream, knowing that he was going to go and not telling you, allowing the house to be started, allowing you to sell your parents' treasures, you know, in an auction, allowing you to move 600 miles away from all of your friends, knowing in his, you know, knowing because he had it already set up that he was going to go. Yeah, and I didn't. I was really cruel. You know, I didn't realize. You know, as you're living through this, I mean, sure. you're just trying to get through each day. But it wasn't really until, uh, well, I would say, ten months later, eleven months later, when he called about a month after we were divorced because he thought I should know he got married. Yeah. So that was when my grief turned into rage and anger. And then that, I, I had been having suspicions by then, you know, because I had been reliving a lot of this in my mind, and there were a lot of things that I didn't see or didn't want to see, you know, as they were happening. So, you know, when he called and said that, then I knew, you know, I knew the woman that he had married, and I knew exactly when he had reconnected with her. So I knew that he knew before we left New Jersey that he was not planning on staying here. So that hurt even more. You know, if he could have just been honest about it, I think it would have it would have helped me. But I also think, you know, as you read the book, as you know. I had to go through all of this in order to learn what I learned from it, you know. Well, they didn't say that now. <laughs> no, but I really, you know, that was because once I, I came to the realization that, you know, and it's the same old thing, the universal truths of, you know, our thoughts create our reality. Yeah. I do believe that, but if you believe it, you have to believe it for everything good and That's bad. Right. And I was completely challenged by everything happens for a reason and in our highest good, and our thoughts create our reality. It took me probably two and a half years to to say, yeah, I did. My soul did create this. But through the writing, I was able to actually come to to become accountable for you know the fact that on a soul level, I I truly am accountable that my soul created this whole thing, in order for me to become an animal communicator front and center. I was not giving my animal communication practice the priority that it deserved back in New Jersey, mainly because I had so many other obligations which I had had for years before I, you know, reawakened my communication talent, so to speak. I want to talk so, about that in, in, in a moment, but I want okay. to ask you a question. Sure. Because I have a, I have a theory, and, and my book was written about, about my theory, basically, mm-hmm. um, about how we, I believe that, that our metamorphosis happens in midlife. And I think... A lot of times it does happen with with a tragedy because it's our wake up call. Where you know the yep. universe was talking to you and you didn't respond. Yep. Did you do you feel that now that oh, did, uh, you know, before you moved that it was trying to tell you something and you oh didn't, absolutely uh, I think had I you know given the priority that that my communication practice required, you know and and back then you just. I'm a very, very responsible person, and I would just do everything on the farm, you know. And I never looked for other options to free up some time, you know. And then both of my parents got diagnosed with cancer in 1999. Well, I completely stopped practicing communication work then because I had to deal with, you know, doctor's appointments and all of that stuff. So I hadn't even been practicing. And then I didn't really start back up after they passed because it took me a little while to get over that. But then I focused three years' worth of my extra time into designing this house that I thought we were going to live in for the rest of our lives. But I truly do believe that, you know, had I 
focused more on the communication practice, I might not have had to create what essentially what happened was my soul moved me down to the mountains, which eliminated all the distractions that I had in New Jersey, the farm and its responsibilities, all my friends that, you know, we would spend time with and whatnot. And then they eliminated my biggest distraction, my husband. Mm -hmm. So I'm left down here in the woods in this little log house, and there's nobody to focus on but me. And, you know, I was the last person that I ever focused on up until now. And right. I do believe that we we learn from from our hard times because that's when we sit back and once we get to a point where we can start to look at it as an observer, we learn from the hard times because we want to know what we need to learn or why did this happen to me? How did I find myself in the situation that I'm now in? When everything's going along just fine and dandy, we don't sit down and say, gee, what should I learn from this really happy time? We're mm-hmm. just glad to have it. So I agree totally that, that you know, we it just seems to be the nature of the human species that we have to create these challenges and traumas for ourselves in order to kind of slap us in the side of the head and say, hey, pay attention. You're not getting it. Yeah. And I believe, you know, that totally it's my soul that created this. I I believe that my husband and I had a soul contract before we incarnated for this whole situation to happen. So, you know, but now realize this took me a really long time and a lot of pain to, mm-hmm. to get to this understanding. And so I was able to, to forgive his soul once I realized this. It's taken me a whole lot longer, and I don't know if I've totally forgiven him. I've not yet, you know, spoken with him or been in his presence since he left. Once we find a buyer for this dream property, you know, when he comes back for the closing... That'll be the real test for me to see, you know, really how I. Is your house still available? Yes. Wow. Yeah. You know, it's a very, it's a very powerful, high vibrational, unique property, and you know, it just it takes that special person. You know, the house is round. It's Mm -hmm. two rounds connected. It has a million-dollar view that you can see into Tennessee and Virginia. The the mountain view is just breathtaking. 54 acres. It's got a big steel building on it that was going to be his workshop and office and whatever storage place. So it's a big property, you know, and it just hasn't found found the right person yet. And I just hope it happens soon. <laughs> Okay, well, we're on air, you know, we're selling your house. Yes. I mean, <laughs> How much is your house worth? It's it's listed for 624.5. Wow. And that's less than we have in it. It's 54 acres and it's just you know, every time I go up there cuz I have to go from time to time and, you know, weed whack and take care of it and whatnot. You know, and I walk in the the house and the entryway door is in the connector, and on the opposite side of the door is a bump out that's all windows. And the whole the whole view side of the house is all windows, so you really feel like you're outside, even though you're inside. And I just open that door and I look out there, and I it, it's so spectacular. And I think, oh, I should be looking at this every morning and every night. Well, I never, you know, this is a Deltac home. And and I never understood, I guess, you know, financially, I mean, you don't have to go into your finances on there, but I, I kind of didn't understand how you could buy a house in Jersey and, and have the, ha- the log home that you lived in and couldn't afford to live in the house that you were selling. Oh, I don't I don't want to live in that. It's not oh, completed. It's only half finished. See, we oh, okay. stopped as soon as he said, and it would be much too, it's a much bigger house than I would need. You know, it's over 3,000 square feet on the living level, and then there's a full basement underneath of it. And, you know, it's 54 acres, and it's, you know, one person. And it's, you know, I'm always going to love the property, 
but I don't want to live on it anymore. You know what I well, mean? Well, it sounds, it sounds, you know, I, and when you first started the book, I thought, oh, wow, he, he, you know, he had a design for Roundhouse Gregory, and I thought, yeah, you guys are going to get together. It's going to become a spiritual retreat. Everybody's going to Oh, well, see, I've had a number of, of people look at it. There was one, one group that came from Asheville, which is a little over two hours from here, and the realtor really thought they were going to buy it as a as a retreat center, uh-huh. and but then they decided they didn't want to go quite that far from Asheville. So okay. I still have hopes that you know somebody. We've had a group of psychologists come out to look at it. It yeah. could really be anything because you can you know re- reconform the the uh, floor plan. I think it'd be a fabulous bed and breakfast. Yeah, yeah, it would. Yeah. You know, so it's up to the mountain now to attract, you know, attract who needs to be there next. I got it started, and it has to attract the next person. But it's an amazing. I have more pictures that I've taken up there when I've been walking with the dogs and whatnot that I have all these little, like, divas and things that show up in the pictures. I've got, like, blue lights and purple oh, wow. lights. and Yeah, I mean, it's it's an amazing, powerful place. So let's talk about when when you know you're you're stuck there. You don't really know anybody. You're living now. You're living in this home that you can't stand, a log home. And and I have to say, I just moved into a log home that I do love. Well, the <laughs> house, the house is the house is lovely, but yeah. I don't want to live in a log house. But it is lovely. But it's the property that it's on. I'm not at all connected to. Yeah. And and I'm usually always very connected to where I live. So I, I've known from the, the beginning that this was, you know, a transitional property. I had hoped I wouldn't be here quite this long. But it it allowed me to heal, you know. Yeah. I, I did all my healing in this house, so I can't get too upset with it. <laughs> you have ready to friends that live down the street. I mean, that was fortuitous. Can you believe um, it? I mean, a mile down is this, you know, very gifted trans channel who, I mean, without without his, you know, spiritual advising uh, and his channel work, uh, I probably still wouldn't understand a lot about what I was going through. Being able to have access to Gregory Postman, his name is, and I can highly recommend him. You could find him at gregoryposman.com but that. <laughs> he yeah he just you know he made all the difference in the world and he and his wife have become very close friends which you know when you're left all by yourself yeah. I, i'm a very independent kind of person and i never you know never really thought about being alone was an issue but when you're alone like i was totally yeah. away from anybody that you knew, all of a sudden you start thinking, or I did, you start thinking about, gosh, what if what if something happens? What if I get sick and I have to go to the hospital and I can? Or what if, you know, all these what ifs. So once, you know, I met Gregory and his wife and we just, you know, worked together a tremendous amount, you know, for my healing, but then became such close friends that, you know, now you have somebody. I feel like, you know, if I've got a crisis, you know, they're going to be right here to help, and it made all the difference in the world. It just allowed me to relax a little bit more. When was the first time that you, you actually knew that you were communicating with with an animal? It's it's interesting. I just I do a, a weekly column on Thursdays on PetSense.com. Mm-hmm. And, and my column on Thursday, this coming Thursday, is about the first communication that I had, although I was unaware of it, mm-hmm. and, and it was with my first lab, Ben. And he was a little over 13, and he had gotten ill. And I didn't think it was a, a you know serious illness, and he was you know, aging and whatnot, and we were a few days away from leaving on a vacation, no less. And after two days of pretty intense nursing care and observation, I thought he was improving. 
And I was sleeping downstairs with him. He had a digestive issue along with some other stuff. So I just slept downstairs with him in case he needed me. And I really thought he was better. And the third morning he went over, and I thought he was going to eat some breakfast, which he hadn't been eating. And for a Labrador, that's like, you know. And he just went to his dish, and he turned and he looked at me, and then he slumped down to the floor. And, I mean, at the time, I just thought it was my imagination creating this, and all I heard was, I can't do this anymore. And I I just turned cold. And I went upstairs to where my husband was. This was early in the morning. And I just, you know, I'm hysterical now. And... I said, you know, I think I'm being selfish. I think Ben, I think Ben's dying. So we called our small animal vet, who's a very close friend, and he rushed up to the farm, and we put Ben to sleep. And I was just devastated. I mean, I didn't know anything about what I know now about reincarnation or, or all the things the animals have taught me over the last 16 years or more. So I was just crushed. And it was, I think, about three years later when I realized that you could actually learn how to animal communicate. You know, I think I'd been doing it all my life unconsciously and just, I thought it was my imagination. Mm-hmm. But then once I started to actually, you know, develop my skills, which I think I've had for many lifetimes, my first actual communication that I initiated myself uh, is going to be next Thursday's call. <laughs> oh, great. And it's actually with a deer. Oh. That, yeah. Very, and I very, I had hardly been working with this teacher, this psychic woman in New York that I started to go into to learn how to, you know, become psychic or whatever you needed to do to animal communicate. Yeah. But the police called early one morning. They called my husband because somebody called them. They had a deer in their backyard that was trying to give birth. Oh. And she's like in the backyard of their house, which oh my is gosh. extraordinary. So we go rushing over, and the police were there with this doe, and they had her underneath a blanket, and essentially the fawn that she was trying to give birth to was dead. Aww. Yeah, it was very sad. So my husband, you know, was able to get the fawn out after, you know, a bit of manipulation, and he gave her some shots and whatnot, and then the one cop had a friend that had deer, you know, the next question was, well, what are we going to, now what are we going to do? You know, we didn't know if she was well enough or strong enough to, you know, be left. Yeah, so, you know, the cop knew a friend, you know, that kind of a thing, and I said, well, I don't want her to live in a pen. That's, you know, what a terrible thing. And I said, she should be able to go back into the woods. So my husband suggested that we just let her be, for about an hour, we'd come back and check on her. If she was still here, then we'd have to deal with it. If she was able to get up and go off into the woods, then, you know. Yeah. So that's what we did. The cop really was more interested in, you know, his friend getting this deer. I could tell that, and it had me concerned. We came back in an hour or a little more, and the deer was gone, and the blanket that was over her was gone. Mm. And I thought, oh, no. He took her. That's what I was afraid of. So I had a session with my teacher in New York, like, the next day. So I'm going, you know, I drive in there, and I tell her all about this thing, and she looks at me, and she says, she says, well, we'll just ask her. And I'm thinking she's going to ask her, because I've only been, like, to two sessions. I'm learning how to meditate. And... (laughs) So she says, no, my, my guides say that you're supposed to ask her. And I look at her like, yeah, right. So, you know, I don't know what I'm doing. So essentially, I kind of just go into a quiet space, and I ask 
you know, is she free? Is she okay? And what I heard was that I went off into the woods and the blanket fell off after a mile. Oh. So I was so happy. You know, I was more happy that the deer was okay. You know, uh-huh. I still couldn't believe that, you know, that I had just done this. But that was actually my very first, you know, communication that I solicited to an animal. Yeah. yeah. Very wow, exciting. So, I mean, people people are going to, if they're thinking, you know, if they're thinking like I'm thinking, they, they want to know that, I mean, you pass an animal, do you hear their thoughts, or do you have to ask them? I'm, Actually, I'm much better at initiating communication. Um, I, I animals that I work with quite a lot, especially ones that are maybe having some issues. I, I find what happens is if they're needing to get in touch with me, rather than me just hearing a voice, which is what I usually hear, I hear and I feel. Mm-hmm. Um, but but if an animal I think is trying to reach me. I don't really hear like them yelling, hey, Nancy. What what happens is all of a sudden I start thinking about that animal, mm-hmm. you know, and then I'll think about it again and I'll think about it again. So what I do is I end up just calling their person. And every time I've done something like that, they tell me that, oh, gosh, yeah, this is happening and that's happening. So that's, you know, that's kind of how for me I don't hear just you know, all kinds of voices. Yeah. I know <laughs> that I can, you know, because I, I am an empath, yeah. and what I have to do a lot of times is, is just put like a shield around myself because I found myself, especially back on the farm, there are there were several different racetracks, standard bread racetrack and a thoroughbred racetrack, uh-huh. probably within a 20-mile radius, and the standard bread track was probably three miles away. And I found what would happen, like, during the really hot, humid weather, I would just walk around all day worrying about the horses. Yeah. And I think I was picking up all of their stuff. So I've kind of set it up with my guides and teachers that when I do this work, you know, I have to have a filter. I can't feel all of all of the pain and stiffness and discomfort that an animal that's, you know, got issues is feeling or I can't do it. But I am able to feel a lot of it, and I do that during the session, um, you know, if something's stiff here and there, you know, I'll tell the person and then, you know, maybe they'll get a chiropractor out. and, And I have wonderful testimonies back that, you know, where I said something was, and, and, you know, felt out of alignment. To me, the chiropractor has found, you know, structural things that needed, which I still find amazing. Well, it is amazing. And, you know, I mean, you don't just communicate with the animals. You have a whole bunch of different modalities. Yeah. But usually, you know, people think, oh, this, this is what people do. But you've got spiritual response therapy. You've got brain yeah. patterning. You've got, you know, channel guidance and flower essences and gems and elixirs and and, and crystals and shamanic journeys and uh, are you working with people or are you just working with pets? Are you working with people and pets? It's interesting because a lot of times, you know, the people call me because of their animals, mm-hmm. and in reality, that they're really who's more in need of healing. But when we do the healing work, I kind of, you know, I get the impression that basically most of of what I do for the animals is, you know, I do a lot of of healing work on a soul level. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I know there's many, many communicators that work more on a physical type healing level. You know, I think we each have our forte and mine, for whatever reason, happens to be soul issues and emotional issues. I get lots of things like that. And the, the spiritual response therapy was a modality developed for people I just have brought it over into the animal realm because that's who I work with most. But when when we do SRT on, you know, a number of people's animals, they see such a change in the animal and they say, well, gee, maybe I should, maybe I should ask <laughs> you to do that for me. And in reality, they really have more issues to heal, you know, than their animals. But, and and I'm just, you know, I'm 
I'm guilty like most people is that we'll do for everybody else before we'll do for ourselves. You know, and that yeah. was one reason why I got myself into the situation I did five years ago. I put everybody else first, and I never even realized it. So it's well, a very common right, but, but healers do that. You know, people in, in our business, they do that. And receiving has always been the hardest thing to do. Oh, yeah. That was the biggest lesson, you know, I had in the last six years. And, and you know, since my my implosion, if you want to put it that way. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and I know it's a lot for a lot of, you know, my colleagues who do the kind of work that, that you do. So... I'm not surprised about that. I want to talk about how the dis-ease though, that, that, you know, we give to our pets and, and the, um, the aid that they give us, besides just being our companion. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it just, you know, I think, and that's, I think, one of the biggest things that I'm trying to, to get people to, to realize with the work that I do but also in my book, you know, where I show, you know, things that happened between my horse and and me when I was training him when he was young, and I didn't even really notice it at the time. But again, it came out in one of my sessions with Gregory and one of the spiritual beings that was, you know, channeling through him at the time. But I'm trying to get people to realize that, you know, the animals are really here for us. You know, they, I was told long ago in a, one of the sessions that I did for someone, uh, if, if I don't feel comfortable with the information that I've gotten from the animal after I've communicated with it about whatever our given situation is, I'll channel, I call it insights and guidance, and it just, you know, it comes from whatever teachers and guides work with me and my spiritual assistants, as I call them. And I was channeling about something for this one person, and what what I was told was that companion animals came into being in order to answer our soul's cries for help because it's such a difficult place here on Earth. And, you know, I had already figured out that, you know, my animals, I thought, were doing a lot more for me, caring for me more than I was for them. And that kind of confirmed it. And I'm trying to get people to realize that there's so much more to their animals than just, you know, maybe, you know, something for their child to teach your child responsibility or whatnot. But the animals, I... I wouldn't really be here if I didn't have my animals through the 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 worst of my trauma. I mean, I was so bad and so down, dark, and out that my belief in reincarnation it's it's not so hard when you're feeling that bad to think, well, you know, maybe we'll just end this and we'll come back in another lifetime and. <laughs> Mm-hmm. It will be better, but my big fear was who would take care of the dogs. Yeah, you know. So I mean, they really kept me from doing anything. My fear would have been that you would have had to do it again. Well, I would have, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But when you're when you're when you're feeling that bad and as bad, and I was that bad. Yeah. You know? So. Uh, you know, your listeners, if there's well, you had a lot. Out. I mean, you didn't just. I think we should have to tell. In fairness, we have to tell the listeners. You didn't just, you know, lose your husband. You lost 13 people that year. It was just well within a few in two years, years. I mean, yeah. you know, that's, that's pretty devastating. That's a lot of well, loss. and they were they were, you know, some of them were my animals, but they're my well, children. Yeah, but you know, so. I, I I cry more for them than. Oh, yeah. I was astounded when I sat down and I counted it up one day. And and I thought, well, God, no wonder why I have this theme of letting go going on. You know, because as you're losing them, you know, and they're scattered apart and whatnot, you don't really think of it. You're dealing with each one in the moment. And But then when I sat down and I thought about how many... You know, my mother, my father, my closest aunt and uncle, and then, you know, horses and and my two dogs that were my closest companions. 
and I was, you know, I was very concerned through the worst of my my time about my old dogs because our animals do take on our negativities. They try and lighten our load. This is what they've come to do for us. And I had dealt with countless numbers of animals that had taken in too much negativity from their people and they've created illness within themselves. The animals don't understand how to kind of transmute negative energy into positive energy so then they can release it again. Mm-hmm. That's way beyond them. You know, as a human being, we're able to do that, but an animal can't. So they just keep taking it in and storing it and storing it and storing it, and eventually it causes, you know, physical illness in them. So I was very, very aware of that while I was going through the worst of my times, and I would keep telling the old dogs, it's okay, you don't have to take on my negativity because, you know, I'll be okay and it'll be all right. And, and you yeah. know, look at me like, yes, you're not doing so good, you better let us take some of it. But yeah. so I, I understood, you know, that I was aging them maybe a little quicker because of it, but... You can't go into guilt over that because you're just creating more negative energy. Right. And they've come to help you, and, and, you know, in some respects you have to let them do that. But it's you get in that catch-22 thing. But they uh, they got me through it, and I knew when my first, my closest shadow, oh, my God, I could cry right now, and it's been... <laughs> Three years, but well, you had Shadow and, and, and Licorice. Licorice. They were they were two brothers. Yep, one was old, one was black. Yes, Shadow was yellow and Licorice was black, obviously. Labradors. Labradors, yeah. But they, uh, I knew when Shadow left. You know, I knew that I had healed to a great degree because I knew he wouldn't leave me if he didn't think I was going to be okay. Um, so that was, you know devastating but but I also realized that you know I had I had turned a corner mm-hmm. um yeah they they just you know they just kept me going and the horse as well when when I would go and work my horse stormy at the farm that I moved into that was near here I could I could get in the present moment and stay there because as you know being a horse person you can't be anywhere else but in the present moment when you're working with a horse or you're going to get hurt. Yeah. So I would get to the farm and I would have, you know, an hour and a half or two when I was fully present. I wasn't thinking about all of my problems and my pain and my grief and my anger and all those other things. I was just focused on the horse and training the horse. And I just felt good and it gave me a, a, a purpose. And it's something that I've done for 50 years. So, you know, it was very important. His his being there for me to, to go and realize that underneath all this weakness that I was feeling was still that strong woman, that, that horsewoman. So I figured the rest of me had to be somewhere. I just needed had to let go of all this you know, negativity that was just beating me down day after day. And that's what I think, you know, Letting Go got published because I shared portions of it with friends in New Jersey, and they said they just couldn't believe how well I could express the emotion I was experiencing, and also I could it kind of simplify maybe a little complex, universal truths and things like that, I took things that were just in everyday life and I I found, you know, pretty significant lessons for me. And so they said, you really need to write this. There's so many people. You need to publish it because there's so many people that could benefit from this. And I, I began to realize that while the details of the book are mine and they're my, it's my life experiences, the lessons I was learning and uncovering are lessons for everybody. You know, I had to laugh, Nancy, as, as when I was 
when I was reading the books that you started to read uh, as you were going through this this dark night of your soul, yep. Yep. Um, they were the same books. <laughs> oh, no kidding. That's funny. It was so funny. It was so funny. You know, I, I just like, oh, that's hilarious. Wow, look at that. Well, I, it's funny because, you know, I, I couldn't read for nine months. Yeah, I couldn't either. I and if anybody either. would have told me that, I would have said, you're out of your mind, because I was a voracious reader. Yeah, I, I, I guess it's shock, you know, because I couldn't read either. and you I can't and I focus. I, yeah. I yeah, couldn't I focus, kept reading you know. stuff the same line over and over and going, what does this mean, what does this mean, I don't get it. Yeah, I just gave up. After I got those two books, Debbie Ford's Spiritual Divorce and then that, that Unofficial Guide to Divorce, like the tour book for divorce. After I read those two, I couldn't read anything. Yeah, but I found but, it. But the Eckhart Tolle book and the in the you know Deepak's book, the spontaneous. Um, oh yeah, that was fire. later though. That was what I started after I started to be able to read. Yeah, so those were, were the books that, that I got. And yeah, they were lifesavers. You know, it's again universal timing. Everything yeah. is perfect timing. But I was I was going to mention. Because you had talked earlier about, you know, how it's a hard read, and it is because it it brings up a lot of things for people, and it challenges people to go if if they choose to. It shows them how they can go, you know, into their own depth and you know shake things up and be able to let go of some of this. I didn't realize it at the time. Um, but I had shared it again with friends in New Jersey, and there was one friend when I hadn't heard back from her. And so when we were talking at some point, I said, well, gee, did you get the pages I sent? She said, yes, I did, but I can't read them. I just get so angry at Bob that I just I just can't read them. And I said, oh. And I thought, God, if I'm not that angry anymore, why yeah, should yeah. you be? But I shared that in one of my sessions with Gregory, and he said, he said, she's not mad at Bob. She's mad at circumstances in her own life yeah. that she hasn't resolved. And this is a woman that was, you know, in her mid to upper 70s, and she had had a very bad marriage that, you know. Yeah. And so that was when I realized the power that this book can have for people if, if they want to. You know, but I think, again, it's it's, you know, it's, well, it's the shadow work that they that they do. Exactly, and yeah, I didn't even think I had one. Isn't that yeah. interesting? <laughs> well, yeah. Well, but you well, have to get to that point, you know, yeah. to be able to say, yeah, I did have one. And well, and that's what know. I kept asking myself as I went, you know, as I went through the book, and I was getting angry, and I was getting, and I wasn't angry at anybody, but I was feeling angst and. Mm-hmm. and Negativity, and you know, I mean, I even stopped watching television because I, I didn't want negativity uh, years ago. And 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 so, like I said, okay, what is challenging me here? Why why am I getting so yep. fat? You know? Yep, that's that's what I hope that you know, it can you know anybody that that is in a really bad place, and I was in the worst place possible, and I mean, I'm living a really happy, content life right now. So you know. I just want to give people hope and encouragement that, you know, it takes work, but, you know, you can get through this stuff and, you know, live a better life. It's like the little plate that I had bought that said, you know, sometimes on the way to a dream we get lost and find a better one. Yeah. Well, I read that every day in the first year and a half just hoping, hoping that this could have an ounce of truth. And... It did, but it it took a lot of work, and you know, you, you just you just have to keep at it. But you have to be in the right timing. It has to be the right time for you to be willing to to sit down and examine those kind of emotions. I needed to do it just because I didn't know how else I was going to survive. Well, you know, I I, I think that what happens is our that metamorphosis that happens that, that mm-hmm. comes to your true self, because I call it the emergence of the true self, yep. it, the, the, that implosion needs to happen to break out of the socialized self. And oh, yeah. Who you, I who, agree. Who you are. And you challenge a lot of beliefs 
in your book because of you know the modalities that you go to the channeler and the you know psychic. Oh and all yeah, that. yeah. Um, and people who are listening may say, well, you know, uh, do I have to do that in order to find out who I am? No, you no. don't. But it was helpful for you. And, and I believe that, you know, I have to say that having, you know, met a whole bunch of them, and I've been to a lot of channels, a lot of different people, there are a lot of um, charlatans out there. Oh, and yeah. Really good folks, and it can be a little difficult to choose. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So how did you know that 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 Gregory was, who he said he was. How did you well, like? Well, it it happened. It was you know I had met a, a woman at a, a, a Native American study group. You know I was trying to meet people. Mm-hmm. You know I, I thought well I have to meet like-minded people. You know and I really had to force myself out of my comfort zone. You know to do this in the first year. So I met this gal who lives near me. But, I mean, we just met at this meeting a few times, and then I stopped going because, for whatever reason. And she called me one day, and she said, gee, Ken, who was the one who had put together this this study group, Ken met this this fellow. He's a healer, and he lives near us about a mile down the road, and he's having a gathering at his house Tuesday night, you know, and everybody's invited. So I quickly went on the internet, you know, and I read his his website, you know, and I thought, well, this is an impressive looking person, and he lives a mile from here. I can I can handle a mile in the dark, you know. In, in the beginning, I didn't even want to drive at night on these mountain roads all by myself. I mean, that's how bad I was, you know. People, <laughs> they hear me today, and I'm very animated, and I I seem normal, but I tell you, I was bad back then. I just want to let folks know that, you know, aside from, from working on your on your farm and working with your husband as, you know, business partner and, and working with the animals, you, you have a degree in, in pharmacy. In, in yes, I'm a pharmacist by You're education. A and, and you yeah, very left-brained out there. I wasn't yeah. always this right, right-brained right whatever. But so yeah. you're the, you know, you come from, from, from very the scientific, scientific, you know, very yeah. scientific, yeah. So we went to the gathering. I had read on Gregory's website that he had taken some uh, travelers out to Banff on a trip like previous years. Mm -hmm. And I had been to Banff, and I just absolutely had a very spiritual experience at Lake Louise out there, the most amazing place I've ever been. So after Gregory did his channeling and he did a, a... Tibetan or Atlantean bowl meditation thing to begin, and it was really a powerful evening. And when I went over to thank him for the evening, and I was getting ready to go home, and I said, gee, I see on your website you've been to Banff. And I told him about Lake Louise, and he said, he said, oh, yes, he said, you know, it's that's where Archangel Michael does something. And, I mean, the minute he said that, the hair went up on the back of my neck. My entire body was tingling, and I never heard another word he said after that. It was the most powerful thing I've ever felt. And I went home, you know, and I thought, well, that was interesting. And the other thing was that the first, the gal that called me told me that when she heard about Gregory and the gathering, I was the first person she thought of and I thought, why would I be the first person she thought of? Because we're mere acquaintances. Mm-hmm. So putting the, all those things together, I emailed him the next day, and I said, I think we need to, I think we need to work together. <laughs> and I set up a session, and I think my first session ended up being three hours. Oh my gosh! It, it was just astounding, and I was just so at home with him. I was very comfortable with the beings that came to channel through him. I mean, it just, everything resonated. It was just meant to be. You know, and I've done many, many, many sessions since then. Many. Like you, you, didn't, you don't go into details of the sessions in the book, and um, but you got specific direction? Oh, incredible. 
I, I give a little bit of information about the sessions, but I, but I also prefaced before I started the sessions that I didn't want anybody to stop reading because, you know, this is a little out there, and I understand that because, remember, I'm the pharmacist, but that they have to understand that these are my creations for my healing, not necessarily theirs, but they were integral to my healing, so they needed to be a part of the book. Yeah. but that I wasn't going to share the most personal of information which because it's personal but I do share a fair amount you know that I feel is more generalized universal truths and information that everybody can benefit from I get a little more personal to- towards the end of it in one of my last sessions that I discussed because it was such a a powerful it kind of brought the healing to fruition, and I really felt that that needed to be shared in a little more detail. So it does go into a little more detail. And the last one was Kwan Yen, who I never even heard of before. She's from yeah, in the Buddhist tradition. Um, but the first time that she came through him, I didn't know who this was. You know, archangels yeah. you've heard of, but I yeah. didn't know Kwan Yen. Funny because I speak to Michael almost every night. The the um, the crystal that you got at Mount Shasta. Oh yes, I'm looking at it right now. So what was the significance of that? How how has that changed your life, or has it? It's well, I use it when I communicate um, because I believe it enhances my connection. Um, I used to bring it down and actually sit it in front of me when I would communicate but I got the feeling that I really didn't need to do that it actually sits up here by the window on a little thing and you know crystals are amplifiers this crystal has an amazing amount of properties when the the lady I bought it from started looking at it and and telling me it goes beyond my understanding of crystals Um, the other big crystal that I got years ago I have yet to really start to work with that. I know it has a lot of information stored in it, but you know how it just it hasn't been the right time yet, but I do think that that time is coming that I'll start more to focus back on the crystals, but the crystal from that Shasta definitely enhances communication and it enhances that when I do my SRT clearing work cuz that that works on a soul level, so it's really. I, I just want to get this in because we don't have very much time, so I want to make sure that people um, know it's Nancy Kaiser K A I S E R Animal Communicator dot com. Correct. That's how you can get to her website. Her book is called uh, Letting Go: An Ordinary Woman's Extraordinary Journey of Healing and Transformation. You get that on Amazon dot com. You get it on her website, I suppose, um, and yep. Barnes and Noble, all the usual suspects. It's digital at Amazon for Kindle or at Smashwords. Yeah. And all that information is on the website. Anything they ever wanted to know about me is on the website. And I'm happy to answer any questions. They can email me from the website, you know, if I can help in any way, animal-wise or surviving a trauma. I, I want to get this in. I want to know about um, Saba and, and Hannah. How are they doing? They're great. Hannah and Saba were the puppies that you got after after, after um, yes, Shadow they and, came and Two weeks after Licorice decided it was time to leave. And They're how old great. are they now? They're three? Three years old. They old. were at the barn with me today while I was working the horse. They go everywhere with me as long as it's not too hot or cold in the car. Yeah. You were worried. Because I left them downstairs with the radio on because they might bark during our show. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's great. They're the best. Absolutely. The Hana is actually... Uh, his soul or parts of his soul shards as they tell me he's been with me three other lifetimes so this wow. is his fourth lifetime with me in my lifetime uh, Seva is a new I've known him in many many lifetimes but not yet in this one was what I was told when I asked and he's he's a doll yeah. I'm blessed with wonderful animals wow and Shadow's do, or, uh, not Shadow sorry um, Stormy's doing well Oh, fabulous! He's just—he's just an amazing athletic and a wonderful teacher, and uh, I'm just blessed. 
Really? Yes, he a, a fantastic picture of him jumping today with me, and he's gorgeous, absolutely. Yeah, gorgeous. he's my grandson. I raised his mother <laughs> on the farm. When I get the animal book written, yeah. everybody will read about all these different animals and a lot of my, you know, clients' animals as well. I'm trying to get started on it, but I keep running out of time. Well, that's a, a great segue because we are out of time. Yes, Nancy. I see that. Thank you so much for being Thanks, my guest Frankie, today. I really enjoyed it. You know, pick up your book, Letting Go. Um, I think it will. It will certainly change some lives. I you hope take so. Care. I hope so. Thanks. Have a wonderful holiday. Okay. You take too. Care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.